We are in a series right now uh, in the book of Romans, and we're in chapters 4 and chapters 5 as we look at this idea of being justified. That means being declared righteous. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25, and we're going to be looking at this idea of a portrait of faith. Last night, I made a, a mistake. Uh, I got on about 6 o'clock or so, I, I pulled out my, my phone, and, uh, and I keep just a ton of pictures and videos on my phone. I've probably got like 4,000 pictures on there at any given time, and uh, a lot, okay? It's not like a few. And so I've got three kids, right? So I'm, I'm zipping through there, and I, and I go back, and then I'm looking at stuff from like two and a half years ago, two years ago, a year ago, and I'm playing videos, and and Christy's pointing out, like, she hears the video across the room. She's like, Cannon's voice has changed, right? It's our six-year-old. And she's like, his voice has changed, and he sounds different. And, we, and you just begin to see the, how they look and how they've grown in a couple of years. And, you know, I, I, yeah, anyway, I felt like Clark Griswold that I was just going to start. Anyway, but um, in the TBS version of that movie. And um, well, anyway, and, you know, he's sitting there, and he's crying. He's looking at the old family photos and stuff. And so you're sitting there, and you're just like, oh, man. And there is something powerful, right? about being able to pull out the technology we, we have today and to be able to, and to be able to, sorry, it's okay. It's something powerful about being able to pull out a piece of technology. <laughs> it's fine. And watch a video or hear audio, all right? <laughs> There's something powerful about that, right? The way we got the technology to do that now. And, you know, it used to be the old photo albums, and now we've got that. And to be able to pull a picture. Of the, I remember um, back before Miss, uh, there was a former church member, Miss Billy Ruth Boylston. I remember she passed away, and I remember going to see her oh, back before she passed away. And her saying, he said, you got any pictures of your kids, any pictures of your family? She's not been able to be to church in a long time. And pulled out my, my, uh, my, my phone and showed her the pictures, right? And be able to do that. And, it's, you know, and she's getting to see, you know, the, uh, the kids that she hadn't seen in a long time and all that kind of stuff. That's a, that's a powerful tool that we can do that, right, and be reminded and, and share memories and kind of know who uh, someone looked like or what they looked like or what they look like now. And in Romans chapter 4, in his own way, Paul is kind of using pictures. He's using video in the theme of a story. He's sharing a story in Romans 4, the story of Abraham, to paint a picture for you and me and for those in Rome of what real faith looks like. Okay, And so they didn't have photographs, they didn't have video to be able to show, say, look, here's how Abraham lived his life. He would just share the story. And he's really getting to the heart of the story in this passage this morning as he shares, here is what faith, here's what trust looks like. Now, we live in a society, we find trusting, we find faith to be hard. We don't have a lot of faith in our systems or in our institutions, they tell us. And you say, well, why, why is that? Well, it's we live in a broken world. We've seen institutions fail us. We've seen systems fail us. We've seen them be broken because everything in our world is marred by brokenness because of the fall. A, a biblical worldview helps us to understand why things are so messed up, right? Helps us make sense of that. But yet the God of the Bible calls us and invites us to believe, to trust, not just in anything, but in Him. Not blindly, not like some leap in the dark, but to trust that what He says is true is in fact true to believe that he will in fact do what he says he will do. And the Bible actually says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, the God of the Bible teaches us through his word that without faith, without trusting him, it is actually impossible to please him. In fact, if we don't believe, if we, if we, we can't even be made right with God, we've saw over the last few weeks. We can only be declared righteous in God's eyes 
made right with God and reconciled to Him if we believe, and not just believe abstractively, place our faith in Jesus Christ, to believe that God has sent His Son to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead. And, and there's, there's no being right with God apart from saving faith. And in Romans 4, 13-25, Paul expounds on the faith of Abraham. And he elaborates even more than we saw last week on this character from the Old Testament. And as we look at Abraham and what Paul shows us about his faith, we learn a lot about what biblical, genuine faith looks like. What faith that saves looks like. What the faith that justifies actually looks like. And if you're a believer this morning, the faith that you have is like Abraham's. There's a relationship there. He's a template. He's a pattern. He shows us what it looks like to believe God. And I think there's a lot that you and I can learn from his faith that can help strengthen and encourage us in our faith. And at the same time, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, or you're not sure if you're a Christian, if you do not believe even, if you look at Abraham, you will see in him a man who believed God and took hold of a promise from God. And that same invitation is for you today. God offers you a promise that you can take hold of by faith in his son. So today we're going to be looking at Abraham's faith so that we might examine and encourage our own and be reminded that we can only be justified by faith. So what does that faith actually look like? So look with me in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It's on the screens for you as well. Paul writes, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Let's pause there for a second. What does he mean here, heir of the world? You see that phrase? Caught my attention first time I read it. What does he mean, uh, his offspring will be the heir of the world? Well, Abraham and his offspring were, were promised, and if you go back and read the Old Testament, they were promised land. You'll see the theme of the land, the promised land throughout the Old Testament, talking about Canaan. And so that theme runs throughout it, this idea of a land flowing with milk and honey. You might remember from the Old Testament if you're familiar with it. And Paul here points beyond the land that they were promised to, he actually says, the whole world. And scholars note, biblical scholars note how ultimately the offspring of Abraham, which is anyone who believes on Jesus Christ, we covered that a week or two ago, all believers in Christ ultimately see this reality in the new heaven and earth. That one day God's children will inherit the new heaven and new earth and live forever with God there in God's presence. So let's keep reading. Verse 16, he says, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise, that promise to Abraham, may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Remember, we, we said a couple of weeks ago, it's not just about genetics here. He's not just talking about physical descendants of Abraham. The, the true descendants of Abraham are those who believe. It's spiritual descendants, all those who share his faith. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. That's what God tells Abraham. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So we see there that idea here, the promise of both the land and the promise of ultimate salvation, which is the true inheritance of every believer. That promise, he says, rests on grace. And if it's by grace, he says it must be by faith. See, grace... Grace given and works achieved or works earned, as we talked about last week, are incompatible. Those things can't go together. And if it's, if it's grace given, it must be simply believed on, taken by faith. It must be received, not worked for. Verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope. 
that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Another quote from the Old Testament. Then in verse 19 he says, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So, in this last section, we see an incredible picture of Abraham's faith. He gives us a picture of real faith and the real results of faith. And as we think through this portrait of faith, we see here, I want us to examine Abraham's faith for for we're called to that same faith. And the same grace available to Abraham is available to you. And like Abraham, we are to believe God. He, as we said last week, he looked forward to God fulfilling a promise, right? We look back on a promise fulfilled, right, in the fact that the Messiah has come, has died and has rose again. We know he's going to return, but he was looking for, we're all looking to the same person, and that is to the Messiah, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, what does this passage and what does Abraham and this passage here teach us about faith? First thing I want you to see is the necessity of faith. Or you might answer this question, why do I need faith? Why do I need faith in the God of the Bible? Why do I need faith in Christ? We see in verses 13 through 16 of chapter 4, that faith was a necessity for Abraham and his offspring to be heirs. He calls them heirs of the world. Without faith, you cannot be an heir of the promise, Paul says. It was this way for Abraham. He did not receive the promise through the law, right? Law came later. But it was the righteousness of faith. And Paul makes the point that if it comes through the law, right? If it comes through keeping the rules, if it comes through uh, keeping the Ten Commandments, if you will, and things of that nature, then he says faith is null, And the promise is void, null and void. Why? Why would it be null and void if it's through the law? Because no one can keep it. (laughs) If if the promise of ultimate salvation and eternity with God in his presence and the new heaven and the new earth, which is what we're ultimately pushing towards and, and seeing here, if it's through being good, if it's through obeying the law, if it's through keeping God's rules, then there's going to be no heirs. There's going to be no children of God. Because as Paul has already explained in Romans, none of us perfectly keep the law. None of us keep the rules perfectly. Only Jesus has done that. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, we have to have his righteousness imputed, placed upon us. And the law brings wrath, he says, in the sense of the wrath of God being revealed against lawbreakers, which he talks a lot about in the first three chapters of Romans. He's once again reminding the Jewish people in this context that like the Gentiles, that's anybody that's not Jewish, that they too are under the wrath of God due to sin. They stand condemned, stand to be judged. They have been given the law, and they have transgressed it. That means they've willfully and knowingly broken the law. And Paul says, all this, this, this salvation is taking hold of the promise. He says it depends on faith, so that the promise can rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. So that everybody, all, including you and me, anyone who believes ultimately on Christ, every true believer in the Messiah, in Jesus, is an offspring of Abraham an heir of the promise. Now, once again, Paul points out that this is all because God is in the business of not only justifying those without the law, or excuse me, with the law, but also those without the law. 
He's not only saving Jews that come to faith in Christ, he saves Gentiles who come to faith in Christ. He's driving that point home in a church that had both Jews and Gentiles in the church. Now, scholars point out here, Paul is, like I said earlier, pointing beyond the promised land of Canaan. And, that, and this idea of the new heaven and the, and, the, and the new earth. And we have to keep in mind that God's promises are eternal. This world's passing away. Uh, but the, the, the Bible actually tells us um, that, that God's people are one day going to dwell with him forever. We generally talk about heaven, right? There's going to be a heaven. And we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. But the Bible says heaven's going to come down to, to earth, right? And I know that can sound weird. If you're new to the Bible, right, what's that even mean? Um, this whole idea. But the Bible teaches us that through the gospel, God is making all things new, right? If you believe in Jesus this morning, he's making you new. You have a new heart already, new desires, new perspective, and your mind is being renewed as the Holy Spirit works in your heart and in your life. You're being renewed day by day by the Holy Spirit. God is making you new. And one day, the Bible even says you'll get a new body, right? He's going to transform your body and give you a body that doesn't get sick or, or grow old or, or hurt or have pain or any of that. But one day, God is going to make the earth new. And scholars, you know, differ on how exactly that's going to happen. But the Bible teaches that heaven is going to come to earth. And one day, the Lord's prayer, if you will, let it be so on earth as it is in heaven, is going to be answered. It's going to be perfectly done on earth as it is in heaven. But we won't see that until the new heaven and the new earth. All this is a part of our ultimate salvation in Christ Jesus. God justifies us. He declares us righteous in his, in his sight makes us, gives us a right standing before us, for him, adopts us into his family. He sanctifies us. That's a, that's a fancy theological word for sets us apart and, and begins to work in our lives to cleanse us and purify us and grow us and mature us to make us more like Jesus. And one day he will glorify us, which means we will ultimately be transformed and the battle with sin will be over. The battle with bad habits will be over. That, that sin that plagues you and you struggle with and that rears its head from time, from time to time will be over and you will have... You'll, be, you'll, you'll, you'll not get sick. You'll not you'll see the effects of sin. And at the same time, you will not even be tempted to sin. You'll be radically transformed if you're in Christ. And that's what ultimately kind of, is kind of give you a little background of what we're talking about when we talk about this idea of the new heaven and the new earth. But he says this promise rests on grace and depends on faith. Without faith, you can't receive God's grace. You can't be an heir of the promises of God. You've got to believe, and not just abstractly, specifically. Right? And the God of the Bible, specifically, in his son, Jesus Christ. Now listen, point being, everyone is not a child of God, right? And we don't mean that cruelly. We don't mean that, um, in a, in a, in a, we certainly don't mean that in a glad or a happy way. The, the heirs of the world, the heirs of the promise, as Paul calls them, the children of God are those who believe, who, who take God at his word. Faith is taking God at his word. That's, why, that's what Abraham did. God made a promise and Abraham simply trusted that it was true to the point that he literally left everything and followed him and did whatever God told him to do. His, his life was from then on characterized by listening to and obeying God. It's the same for you and I. As when we place our faith in Christ as believers, we, we are people who are simply taking God at his word. When we read the word and we hear the gospel that God has sent his son to save us from our sin, we believe it, right? And we're transformed. We believe the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection, and we rest in it to the point that we leave things, even if necessary, and follow Jesus, right? Our, our life has a new direction, and that's the necessity of faith. When we, it, and that pattern of faith and that lifestyle of following Jesus only comes from a life 
that has been surrendered to him in faith who has taken God, taking God at his word. And we can't please God apart from it. We can't be heirs of the promise apart of it. Faith is a necessity to be a child of God. Now, number two, we see the characteristics of faith. What, what, answering the question, what does faith look like? What does it look like to have faith in Christ? What does it look like to trust God? Well, Abraham had real faith, and he gives us an example here. And I just want to share with you some of the characteristics of Abraham's faith. First, we see that faith rests in God's power and character. He says, he talks about the, the, who the God was that Abraham trusted in. He says he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In, in Abraham's mind, he, he understood that about God. He gives life to the dead and calls into existence the, the things that do not exist. Now, why would that be important in Abraham's story? That Abraham believed God was a God who could give life to the dead. Well, here, primarily, the picture is the fact that due to the age of him, tells us he's about 100 years old, and that was like around the age of both of them, if you go back and read the Genesis account. He and, 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 and her barrenness in the sense of they had tried for years to have children. Even when they were of child-rearing age, they had tried for years, and, and it appeared no life would come from their union, biologically speaking. But Abraham didn't trust in their power to conceive. He was trusting God who gives life to the dead, and God had made him a promise. And he thought, well, God could even place life in a barren womb. This is kind of what he's pointing to here. He believed in a God also who calls into existence things, he says, that do not exist. We're reminded of creation, right? God created the world from nothing, ex nihilo. There was nothing but God, and God created the world from nothing, the Genesis account tells us. And at one point, Abraham was childless. At one point, he was pagan. At one point, he was off doing his own thing, and God made him a promise, and, and God made him ultimately a nation from nothing. And true faith is resting not in man's power, not in our power, but in God's power. And when you come to Christ for salvation, or when you came to Christ for salvation, it wasn't anything to do with your power. It was about right God's power to save. It was about trusting God to save you from your sin. And years later, in the story of Abraham, we see that in Abraham's life, he was willing to obey God and offer his son Isaac on the altar. In Genesis 22, we're told the account, God tells him to take the son of the promise, that's Isaac, right? That's, that, that's the son that he says, the, that's, that, that's the, the son that came from the union of him of Sarah. He says, I want you to take him, place him on the altar and sacrifice him to me. And you say, that does not sound like the God of the Bible. And you're right, it does not sound like the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible abhors human sacrifice like that. He, 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 he calls it wicked that, that someone would sacrifice their, their child. So why is he telling him to do it? Well, it's a test. He wasn't ever actually going to let Abraham do this. He wanted to see if Abraham was willing to do whatever God said. And Abraham, man, he marches up a mountain with his son, who was probably at least a teenager at this time, maybe older, and gets up, straps him down, and he's getting ready. He's got a knife in his hand. I mean, it's like ah, a graphic scene, right? Like when you're reading your Jesus storybook Bible to your children, I, I skipped that one for a few years, right? It, it's kind of, it's, it's a little disturbing. But then a lamb appears, or a ram appears over in the thicket, and, and, and God says, don't you dare touch that boy, and he provides a ram for him to sacrifice instead. They have this moment of worship. The Bible says they worship God, and, and they come down from the mountain. And, and what was happening there is God was testing Abraham. And by the way, God knew what the result of the test was going to be. He wasn't going to let him kill his son. He was, not, not anybody going to do that, but he, was, he was testing his faith that it would be proved out, fleshed out, that this faith was genuine. Right? And the Bible tells us in the New Testament the reason Abraham was willing to go do that was because he believed it necessary in order to keep his promise that God had made to him that God would just raise Isaac from the dead. That's how much faith he had. 
And God, that, that, that's how he, who he understood God to be. He was resting in God's power and God's character that he's a promise keeper. See, faith is not about trusting you. True faith says, I can't deliver myself. I can't earn it. I can't do it. I need God's saving power. True faith says, I'm a promise breaker, but God is a promise keeper. Faith takes God at his word and believes God is good and believes he's faithful. Now, down in verse 21, he describes his faith this way. He says he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, right? Back to the character of God and the idea that God was both willing and able to keep his promise. Not his ability. It's God who was able. Able to what? Do what he had promised. God was both willing and able. Not that he's willing to do whatever you want, right? Or whatever Abraham wanted or whatever you want or I want, but that he's willing to do what he says he will do. And that he's able to do what he says he can do. Listen, if God is merely able to do, okay, what if he's cruel? What if he's a liar? What if he's deceptive? What if he's wicked? What if he's mean? Well, that can be scary. If he's merely willing to do good things, if he's merely willing to be faithful, if he's merely willing to, to keep his promises, but he's not actually able to do that, well, what good is that? Right? God is both willing and able. He, he both has power to save and the character to save. It's like when you go to the doctor. I want a doctor who is willing. <laughs> I want a doctor who is able. Right? I, I want both. Right? And so that's why you go to the doctor. They know better than you do how to diagnose what's wrong with you, how to prescribe what's wrong with you. And I know we live in the world of, you know, and you've got a PhD from Google and you can get on there and you, you figured it all out. And even and we usually walk away and we've got something like the common cold and we think we've got some rare form of something that's incurable, right? Because we've got these WebMD PhDs. But we need real doctors, right, that know better than we do and how to diagnose and how to treat. But I don't want a doctor that's just willing, right? <laughs> That, that, can, that just can kind of go, yeah, 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 man, I can diagnose you. I, I can write a prescription. You know what? I can do surgery. No, I want a, I want a doctor who's able, right? Who, who's actually effective and can do what they've been trained to do. If he's got two stars on Yale for Google, I'm not going, right? Spiritually speaking, we need a lot more than a doctor, right? We, we need God. We need a father. We need a healer. We need a savior. We need to look in faith to the one with the power to save and the character to keep his word like Abraham did. So that's the, the first characteristic of his faith. The second characteristic of his faith is, and true faith is that it trusts God for more than your eyes can see. And I'm borrowing a quote there from Sally Lloyd-Jones. Trust God for more than your eyes can see. In verse 18 he says, and hope he believed against hope. What does that mean? That's kind of confusing, right? I, I, I read that several times. I was like, I'm not sure what that means. Um, so I had to study it. But what, in hope, you believe you can tell, what? That's an incredible phrase, but what does it mean? Well, what it means is this. From a human standpoint, it made zero sense that Abraham would think he'd have kids. He's too old. They've tried for years to have kids. No kids. Now he's 100, and his wife, she's right up there with him. She's too old. And you remember the story. Abraham gets the promise, Right? In Genesis 15, we talked about that last week. He gets the promise. Years go by, no kids. God promised, I'm going to make you a great nation. I can't even have one kid, God. And years go by. And finally, when God says, now is the time, in a year, you're going to have a son. He's 100. <laughs> and, and she's right there with him. I think she's 99 or 100 or something like that. And, and he laughs. But he laughed in a way kind of like, God, what are you doing? Like, not in an unbelief way. But just, just kind of in a chuckling kind of sort of, what in the world is God up to kind of thing? Now, Sarah laughed in an unbelieving way, the Bible teaches. But let's not be too hard on Sarah. 
80, 85 years of trying to have kids and not having any kids, um, I, I get it, right? And so, but, so, so she, she, was a little, she was a little bitter, right? And so the Lord had to do a, a work in his heart, and the Lord had to do a, a work in their heart, but ultimately they both believed, okay? Ultimately they both believed. And hope, Abraham hoped against hope, even though it didn't make sense biologically, even though it didn't make sense from a physical perspective, it didn't make sense when he, when he considered um, Sarah's womb, it didn't make sense when he considered his own age, when he looked at his frail body. None of this makes any sense. It, 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 it wasn't practical. But it made incredible sense spiritually, but simply because of this, God said. That's all that mattered. Everything else null and void because God said. Now, we have to be careful with that, right? Abraham's dealing with literally the audible voice of God, okay, um, speaking to him. We, we don't have that. What we have is God said, right? And, and we can go here, and we can claim these promises, and we can stake our life on God said in his word. Not every little willy-nilly thing that pops into our mind, right? It's because we think it and we want it to be true. That, that's not a promise from God. God's promises are written down in a book. They're called the Bible. And those promises, in their proper context, we can cling to. God has said. And that's ultimately all that matters. That's ultimately all that That's the final word. Now, this doesn't mean Abraham believed blindly. It doesn't mean he didn't ask any hard questions. It doesn't mean once God had spoken that man, there was no struggle or anything like that. It simply means he fully trusted in the word God spoke, even in the face of dire circumstances and personal limitations. I mean, it doesn't look good as he looks at his body. He looks over at Sarah. He's thinking, it doesn't look good. It doesn't make any practical sense. But see, we don't trust God because things look good. We don't look at our circumstances and, and, and you know, lick our finger and stick it in the, see which way the wind of circumstance is blowing to decide if we're going to, that's not faith, Right? Last month, I went um, deep sea fishing for the first time. You ever been deep sea fishing? I'd never been. And so I was invited to go with a friend, and so I drove up the coast and up, to, uh, up, uh, up on Amelia Island and got to go deep sea fishing. And, um, and, and I've shared this enough to know y'all know I'm not a big risk taker, okay? I don't, I'm not a big roller coaster rider or any, any of that. that, that Christy does that job in our family, um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm the, you know, conservative one. And so, and so anyway, so I go up there, and, and I didn't really think much about it, right? And so we get out there, and I decide I'll sit on the front of the boat, um, and we're going about 30, 40 miles, I think it was, out into the Atlantic Ocean, which is a long way, um, even for deep sea fishing. And so it's like an, you know, hour-plus ride out there, I think, hour-and-a-half ride or something like that in this boat, and I'm sitting on the front. And I finally realized after about 15 minutes of sitting up there by myself because my friend, who was at first sitting beside me, somehow had moved. And as we picked up speed, and I began to realize, you know, I'm either going to be off the boat and drown or eaten by a shark, or, or this boat's about to be a mess. And so one, one of the, I'm going to ruin this nice guy's boat because I was starting to get a little bit like, ooh, you know. So I, I finally got moved and got to the back of the boat or whatever. We got out there, and the, 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 and the sea was perfect, right? It was nice and smooth. I didn't get seasick or anything like that. So after it was over, my friend told me, he goes, oh, yeah, this guy we went with, he doesn't go unless the weather's perfect, right? If he gets up in the morning and he sees there's a storm coming, he's not getting out. He's not risking it or anything like that. He's not doing that. Now, here's the thing. I like that in a, uh, in, in a fisherman because I, I, go, I was going to fish and not swim. However, some people do this with God. They want to check the weather and then decide if they'll trust him. And we can be tempted to do that. And that's not faith. Faith believes God no matter the circumstances. Even when the circumstances look bad, we just trust Him. We just believe that He'll keep His promises, whatever His promises we're talking about here. And particularly here, we're talking about, in, in this context, in context of Romans 4, the promise of salvation, 
But even in the context of, man, the world around us falling apart. Though, though trials buffet, right? Though, though difficulty comes, that we trust that our soul is in the hands of God. See, faith is not a one-time thing. It, it begins at a time and place. And you might have been seven years old when you first placed your faith in Christ, or you might have been 17 years old, or you might have been 70 years old, or, old, or anywhere in between. But, but it's not a one-time thing. It, it's, we place our faith in Christ, in Christ and then it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life of continual walking in faith with God. It's, it's a journey. And God will continually call you to trust Him. As I quoted earlier, Sally Lloyd-Jones, more than your eyes can see. That's what Abraham was doing. You're trusting God more than his eyes could see. Following Christ means trusting him when you can't see the outcome. We don't get to see every step in following Christ. God doesn't let you watch a movie of your life. And we have questions. Where's this going, Lord? How will it end? How will they respond? What's next? How will we get out of this one? And following Christ means we have trusted him. We believe God's promise. It doesn't mean following him will always make perfect human sense or seem practical. At times, we have to cling to Christ in the midst of uncertainty and trusting Him more than your eyes can see. And we trust Christ not only with our eternity, but with our life. It's amazing people that will say, man, I've trusted Christ with my eternity. I'm staking eternity on God's promise in Christ Jesus. But man, they can't trust Him with their finances. They can't trust Him with their job. They can't trust Him with their kids. They can't trust Him with their spouse. And it does make you wonder, have you really trusted Him with your eternity? Because that's a way bigger issue. But see, eternity's out there somewhere. And for most of us, death seems like a long way off. But the bills are today, right? The relationships that we struggle with with our family and friends, and that, that's today. And true faith, truly following Christ in faith, trust God in the today, in the tomorrow, and for eternity. Beyond what our eyes can see. You know, the Bible even teaches us that God uses the difficulty and the pain in life to strengthen our faith. We're going to see that here in just a minute. God's just constantly working on us in this journey. Here's the other thing that, that described Abraham's faith. It, it was, it was it, it, our biblical faith. It perseveres. It perseveres. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. He's not saying he never struggled. He's not saying he never had questions. He's saying Abraham was not double-minded. You know what that means? going back and forth, one foot in the world, one foot on God's promises. It's, it's unbelief, ultimately, that causes double-mindedness. James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his book, the book of James, he talks about double-mindedness. Let me read it to you in verses 5 through 8 of James. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, not with, with no doubting, for the one who doubts... Is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. The kind of doubt he's talking about here is a, is a very strong doubt that's actually doubting the promises of God. Doubting God. The double-minded person is distracted it's by unbelief. Wavering between unbelief and belief. And they don't fully commit to the Lord. And when the wind of trial or persecution blows, they're tossed. And we may battle doubt as believers, 
Believers do not waver in unbelief in the promises of God. We, we trust God. And in the face of temptation and trial and difficulty, we trust God. And faith in Christ is not merely about a point in time. It's about a lifetime of following Jesus. And the person who, with true faith, they persevere even in the face of all these things. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. And, and then true faith strengthens with time. That's the last one. Strengthens with time. He grew strong, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Abraham's faith grew stronger and stronger with time as he gave glory to God. Let me ask you, is your faith stronger today than it was when you first believed? It, it probably is. I hope it is. And it's real simple. It's because of this. You know God better. You've been walking with him longer. Listen, I have friends right now that I can call and that I can, man, I can, I, can just, I can share stuff with that I wouldn't just share with anybody. If I'm hurting or I'm struggling or I'm frustrated, I can, I can tell them that. If I did something stupid, I can tell them that, right? And I've got friends that will encourage me and, 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 and that will rebuke me or whatever it is I need, right? I've got, and, and most of those friendships I've had for years, maybe 20 years, 7 or 8 years, 10 years, but years, right? And the reason I can call and, and do that is because I know them. And I know kind of, I know they care about me. I, I, know they, I know they care about God and his word. I know they care about me. And so, so that, that's, that's a valuable thing. Now, there are other people that I've gotten to know over the years too. And I wouldn't give them my phone number, <laughs> right? We're not, I love them, but we're not doing family vacation together. You know what I'm talking about, right? Why? I, I don't trust them, right? Right? Uh, and you, got, you, you get that too, right? That's just, that's just the dynamics of human relationships, right? We, we love everybody, but we can't be close friends with everybody, right? But as you, as you get to know godly people and build relationships, right, the, the bond strengthens. The friendship grows. And I think that's what he's pointing to when he says he grew strong in his faith. His faith was stronger 10 years later than it was, or it was stronger 15 years than it was before because he was walking with the Lord, and the better he knew the Lord, the more he trusted the Lord, the better his friendship with the Lord was. Faith is trusting God. It's taking, him his, taking his word for it. And the longer you know him, the better you know his word and his promises. The more you see him keep his promises, your trust grows, your faith grows because he's not ever going. Now, we're all at different places in our faith journey. Some of us have been Christ followers for decades, maybe only a few years. Some may not even be there yet, but this is the kind of faith God is calling us to, the kind that rests in God's power and character, trusts God more than our eyes can see, perseveres continually, and strengthens over time. And Abraham had been walking with God for years before he actually got the son that God promised him that would ultimately turn into a nation. When God comes to him and says, you're going to have the son, he was older than, as far as I know, anybody in this room. When he was told, him and Sarah, that a baby was coming. And here's my point. Don't think because you're a senior adult or because you've been a Christian for a long time, you don't have to be a senior adult for this, to be a Christian for a long time, that God will not ask you to take risks or to trust him. The point is not that God's going to tell you a child's coming. Calm down. All right, don't get on. Pastor, we're going to talk. No. The point is this, don't think that God won't challenge your faith. Don't think that God won't ask you to step out in service. Don't think that God won't ask you to step out on mission. Because listen, why wouldn't He? You know Him so well. You've been walking with Him so long. Your, your faith has been strengthened. And as I mentioned, God even uses the difficulty, the suffering, the pain, the trials that we've had in life. Some of us have had more of those than others. 
And the longer we live, the more we encounter those. He uses those to strengthen our faith. And the trial you're facing, the pain you're facing, that can sometimes seem like too much, to be honest, is not there. Listen, if you're a believer, it's not there to break you. It's there to build you. And we're going to see that next week, that God uses those things to build our faith. Trials have a way of breaking us down physically at times, and mentally even. And they can be exhausting, but they have a way of building our trust in God. God is building your faith. He's preparing you for eternity. He's preparing you for an inheritance. If you're a believer in Christ, you're, you're inheriting the world, right? So don't waver now. Characteristics of faith. And lastly, I want you to see the result of faith. Look back at verses 23 I'm, and through 25. I'm going to read it again. Where does our faith lead? He says, But the words that was counted to him were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised, uh, who, in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So we're back in Genesis 15 here. He's, he's echoing that again. Remember, it was by faith that Abraham was justified. He was made right with God, not by what he did, only by trusting God. God made him righteous. And God counted it, he says, counted his believing to him as righteousness. And those words were written, he says, not simply for Abraham, but for you and for me, for us, that we too can be made righteous by faith just as Abraham was. And Paul reminds us here that true faith, true faith is rooted in the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Generically believing in God doesn't save anyone. A lot of people claim to quote-unquote believe, right? People claim to be spiritual, to be quote-unquote believers. Many people believe in God, that He is real, but that's not what the New Testament's calling us to. We're called to believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. We're called to believe that Jesus died for our sins, our trespasses, and rose again. Faith in that God, faith in that gospel leads to, has the ultimate result of justification, being made right with God, as we trust in the good news of that promise that Jesus died for us and rose again. Look at the phrase he used there. He was delivered up for our trespasses. That word trespasses. You know, we've seen him use the word for sin in, in Romans. Here, he, he, in this passage, he's used it a couple of times, that word for trespasses. It speaks to sinning when you know it's wrong. Like Israel, in context, had the law, right? Had been, Moses came down from the mountain, here's right and here's wrong, and they did wrong anyway. In fact, they were doing wrong when he came down from the mountain, if you remember, right? And they, they, they knew what was wrong, they did it anyway. They sinned, they trespassed, they broke the rule even when they knew it. Let me ask you, parents, when your kids do wrong, and they knew it was wrong, and they did it anyway. Isn't that worse? Yeah, it feels worse, right? You feel a little more like betrayed a little bit. Kind of like, we, we know this is right. You know this is right. You just did it wrong anyway, right? And here's the thing. We do the same thing. Not just Israel. You grow up in church? I did. I knew right from wrong. I knew what God's Word says. I knew that I was to believe on Christ. I knew that, I, I, I knew that right? I knew the Ten Commandments. I knew the rules. I knew them. And I broke them anyway. I trespassed. And Paul's hammering the fact here. Listen, Jesus died for your trespasses. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus not just to die for some generic sin out there. He died for your sin. When you knew the right thing to do and you shook your fist at God and we've all done it and you did the wrong thing anyway, Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that. That's a, that's a powerful word. He was delivered up. For our trespasses. When we broke the rules and knew we were breaking the rules. When we shook our fist at God, 
and spit in his face and turn to walk the other way, he sent Jesus even for that, to die for that. That's the God that loves you, who sent his son to die for you, even the ones, the sins you were knowingly, ungratefully committing. Jesus died for that. And Paul reminds us here of the role of both the cross and the resurrection play in our salvation. Jesus, he says, was raised for our justification. In his resurrection, Jesus, in other words, is vindicated. God did not let his, as the psalmist says, did not let his Holy One see decay. And we, you and I, share in that vindication through faith in Christ. We have died with Christ, Romans will go on to tell us, and we have been raised with Christ to walk in in newness of life. We place our faith in Christ. And and Jesus' resurrection showed that the payment was received. Check didn't bounce, right? He really did pay for our sin on the cross. And the result of true faith is justification. Being declared righteous in God's eyes. It's being made right with God, but that is... It's only if it's in the right object. The God of the Bible and His Son Jesus Christ who's been crucified for our sins and raised from the dead. There is truly nothing more important. No question that I can ask or you can ask this, this morning no, more important than this. Where is your faith? Who or what is your faith in? And is that faith real? Is it genuine? Is it, is it like Paul would describe Abraham's faith which is the template for ours? So here's my questions for you this morning as we close. First of all, have you trusted Christ? Just genuinely rested in what Christ did in your place and dying for your sin and being raised from the dead. Have Have you turned from your sin, repentance, turned from your sin and placed your faith in Christ, clinging to Him and Him alone to rescue you from sin, death, and hell? Have you trusted God to make you righteous? Are you trying to justify yourself? Are you trying to be good enough? Are you trying to earn it? Are you trying to make sure you've got all the ducks in a row? you got the wrong ducks, right? Which one is it? Is it you justifying yourself or is it God justifying you in Christ Jesus? That's the first question. Second question is this. This is for every believer in the room. Where are you at in your faith journey this morning? Like Abraham, God always leads us to trust Him more than our eyes can see. He he wants you to trust Him, not your ability, uh, not your sense of self-empowerment, but but to trust Him, to follow Him. And maybe today, some of us are facing something bigger than our ability to handle. Maybe you look at yourself and you say, you know, I'm I'm too weak for this one. I I can't do this. This is too much for me. And listen, you're either there today or you're going to be there one day. If we all live long enough, we, we, we get to that place and the God you trusted to save you is still with you. And let every frail moment, every failure, and every struggle, and every mountain you face be a reminder to get and keep your eyes on the one who is willing and able to keep his promises. Maybe today you need to realize that that trial in your life is not there to break you but to build you. And you need to lean into Christ and to trust him and believe that the God who saved you will keep you and build you, preparing you for eternity. Let's pray.